0: I kind of really like one-liners, and if I hear a good one, I keep it, and then I make some up. So <laughs> I made up one when we moved to Orange County, which is probably like Miami, and, you know, everybody's perfect, and you're not allowed to grow old, and, and, and all of those kind of things. And I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to fit in this town. And um, Chuck Smith had called us back to help him with something. And then um, I came up with a new saying. And it's let the face go and the heart grow. I th- I can do that one. <laughs> you know, and as you grow in the Lord, that, that will just pour out of you. And people will look at you and they will go, what do you have, I want it. Why are you so peaceful? I want what you have. And that's what God does in our lives. I was flying on a plane actually out of, I was going into Florida. Uh, Some years back, and there was a a lady on the plane next to me, and she was really a wreck, and she was drunk. And I had gotten bumped up to first class because I fly so much, and so that was lovely. And she was not lovely. And uh, (laughs) she was really obnoxious. And everybody around her, you know, it's like dirty looks and couldn't take it, and she's going on and on. And at one point, she even kicked the seat in front of her because the people had leaned back. And, you know, there's airplane etiquette and you never do that and so I'm just like, oh, and people are kind of rolling their eyes. Anyway, she's pouring out her life to me and it is, this is a tragic life, I mean it's just her husband's a pilot and she is sure that he is having an affair with somebody, flight attendant or something and so she's just like, she's just having fits. And she's a Jewish woman from New York City. So now you know that personality—that she's just going to get the job done—and <laughs> and she's like just not happy. And she kept ordering more drinks until they told her she was not allowed to have any more. And um, all of a sudden, she looks at me and she goes, "Why are you so peaceful?" Is <laughs> <laughs> basically I couldn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so I said, "Well, I'm a Christian, and Jesus gives me peace." And then she said the most unusual thing. She said, you know, I accepted Jesus a few years back, (laughs) and I'm going, oh boy. (laughs) Okay, and she said, but I guess I cuss and and whatever a lot, and I I wanted to go, yes, you do, but I didn't say anything, and I I just let her go on, and um, I just looked at her life, and I'm thinking, she calls herself a Christian, but she's miserable really, really angry, really miserable. A couple weeks later, I was flying into Montana. And I was sitting back in economy. And um, I sat next to this lovely young mom. And she said that they had moved to Montana a few years ago. And they found this church. And she became a Christian. And she was just praising the Lord. She had a handicapped child. Life was not easy for her and her husband. But she never complained once. She was just praising the Lord. And I thought about those two women on the plane. One, both Christians, one riding in first class but living in economy. And the other one was riding in economy but she was living in first class. And that's what the Lord wants us to do because he overcomes the world and you need to trust Jesus that he's going to overcome the world in your life. That's what he does. And in that, he says, I tell you those things to give you peace. Isn't that awesome? Well, today we're gonna to talk about a battle in the Old Testament. I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 2. I also love this story, it's great. Because this story talks about victory in the Lord, how he does overcome the enemies in your life. We see them and we think this is never going to work out. This is going to be horrible. And yet we see God come through with different things. And it's just look for those miracles, girls. You know, that's that's another thing I like. Look for the miracles. Don't miss them. You miss them oftentimes because you're not looking for them. So when you see them, realize that is from Jesus, that is a miracle in your life, and just praise him for it. Well, this, I like to take a chapter, and I like to outline it and divide it up, and then I can remember it better. Can't you do that? Remember in school, you'd have to take something and outline it and go into it, and then you remember it. So I'm going to give you something to remember this great chapter. We're going to talk about seven P words. This is kind of what Sandy McIntosh does, so... But I just, I love this one and this chapter, the seven P words. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. And it happened after that that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Amorites, came to the battle against Jehoshaphat. I just like to say his name, Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Judah. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They are in Habazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah was gathering together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. We'll stop right there for a minute. So when we look at at this story, there's fear. And we understand that in this day and age. And if you got up one morning and they said, another country, let's take the communist countries. They're coming after you. They will be here. Or Iran is going to attack us at 12 o'clock. I mean, how would you feel? Think about the fear that you would have. And this is what they're saying to Jehoshaphat. It's not just one king and one army. There's a group of them. And they're all coming against this little country of Judah. And what does he do? He seeks the Lord, and the first P word is prayer. He goes to prayer, and it calls the people together. Now, if you understand the background of the story, it helps. The people that are coming against him are those people from Edom. And when Moses was taking the children of Israel out of Canaan, he wanted to pass through that part of the country. Now, remember, they were way distant cousins from Abraham. And the Edomites said, no, you are not taking a shortcut through our country. And Moses sends word and said, listen, if anyone drinks water, we'll pay for it. If the animals eat it, we'll pay for it. We will be very fair to you. We won't stay, touch anything. We'll stay on the highway. We just want to go through. And they said, no, and if you do, we will go after you with the army. And they sent the army out. And it was really unjust. And so God was pretty angry with those people because they were unjust to the children of Israel that were escaping out of Egypt. And so these people are now coming again against Israel. And it's a vast army. It's not just a little army, it's vast. And Judah is a pretty small country and everything in their eyes look totally hopeless. They're, you know, we're a grasshopper with, a thousand horses coming at us, it's not gonna look well. And Jehoshaphat was so alarmed, he did four things. And this is an important lesson. When something comes into your life that is just like a difficult trial, what do you do? Because Jehoshaphat did all the right things and it's a great lesson to learn in watching him. He resolved to inquire of the Lord in verse three he proclaimed a fast in verse three, and all the people came from every town to seek God in verse four. And then go to verse six. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah, and Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, "O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and are you not the ruler over the kingdoms? of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out all the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham? I love this. Your friend forever. I love how he reminds God of things and you know, um, Cory tamboom used to say, pray scripture, remind God, pray scripture and it's wonderful and lovely how God does listen and answer those prayers and he's saying you know you you promised this to abraham your friend this country forever and they dwell in it and have built you we dwell in it and built you a sanctuary in it for your name saying if disaster comes upon us sword judgment pestilence or famine we will stand before the temple and the pre- and in your presence for your name is in the temple and will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save." How amazing is this section of scripture right here? How God worked. You will save. Verse 10, and now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt that they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I underline that part in red. Our eyes are upon you and that's your answer when those things come into your life you turn to Jesus and say our eyes are upon you we don't know what to do but you do and he often has so much better solutions than we have And watching over his people he prayed and there is a power in prayer this is what he prayed he praised God and reminded him of his goodness to Israel that he had given the land to them and that he was powerful That calamity comes, that they would, if it came, they would cry out to the Lord and he would save. After praising God, he puts in his request help. (laughs) That is all you have to say sometimes just God, help. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And all the men of Judah and their wives and the children and the little ones stood before the Lord. What a picture that is! Can you just picture that scene? The enemy is coming in like a flood, and they all gathered together, I'm sure, and faced the temple and cried out to the Lord. And God hears when you do that. What a picture. Their eyes were fixed upon the Lord. You know what? In life, there's no better place to be. And sometimes God simply allows circumstances in our lives so that we'll look to him. Difficulty, Jill Briscoe said, who's a great speaker, Difficulty is the very atmosphere of miracle. When you're going through something very difficult, look for the miracles. I mean, it's amazing to me some, so many times in my life when I'm going through a difficult thing and just a miracle shoots through. And it, it, it just makes God my, so big and my faith grow. And it's actually good for me. Difficulty is the very atmosphere for miracles and it's exciting to see what God's going to do. I sometimes think, Lord, how are you going to fix this one? And I want to sit back and just see how he's going to do it, because he always has such a new, wake, new way of doing it <clears throat> and unique. When my boys were little, we had three boys, and they would um, have a fight outside or something over toys or whatever they were doing in the backyard. And they'd come in, and, and maybe it was the youngest, he'd come in and, you know. And he would just be saying he did this, and he took my truck, and he did that, and you know whatever, and he hit me or whatever you know children do. And I remember I would take his face in my hands like this, and I would go look at me. No, but he did this and this and this, and I go no, look at me. And when he looked at me, he got quiet. And I said this is how you're going to solve it. Oh, huh. and then he'd go outside and play. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to take your precious face in his hands. And he wants us to go, my daughter, look at me. Look at me. I'm going to give you peace. And I'm going to take care of this. But you got to look at me. And that's what they did right here. And I think God loved that. This was a wonderful king <laughs> that would teach his people to do this. Because he knew that his help could only come from the Lord. They were steadfast in God's presence before they could become immovable, I mean, overcome, I'm sorry, the enemy. They were steadfast in God's presence before they could go out to face the enemy. And that's what we have to do. So they went to prayer. Number two, God's gonna give them a promise. This is exciting part. All right. Verse 14, and then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beninah, and the son of Jael, the son of all of these people. He was a Levite, <laughs> and, and uh, in the midst of an assembly, and he said, listen, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, listen, thus saith the Lord to you. Do, I n- do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of jor You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. And do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. That's a great promise. It's the kind of promise he gave Joshua when he had to go into the land and face Jericho. Don't be afraid, Joshua. And he said to Joshua, it isn't, you know, if I'm for you, Joshua, are you for me? I am captain of the Lord of hosts. Joshua, are you with me? Because I will take you through this. And that's what the Lord wants to say to us. Are you with me? Are you looking into my face? And God gave him this great promise after they prayed. And I thought about this man, Jehaziel. I I just thought, what if he would have thought, oh my goodness, I've got a word from the Lord, but I don't want to say it. What if I'm wrong? They'll stone me. What if he just had fear? And he didn't want to stretch himself and go, this is what the Lord's saying. And stand up in front of this whole crowd of people. And, you know, false prophets could be stoned. (laughs) But he just did it. And sometimes the Lord will say to you, speak a word to somebody. You know, or put something on your heart to pray about. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because you know what? You can receive the greatest blessing from that. Because you not only realize that God is fulfilled his promise as you look back, but you also allowed him to use you as part of that in that tool to work. What a blessing that is for you. Don't be afraid to speak the words of the Lord. Now sometimes the Lord may tell you something about someone to pray for, and maybe it's a correction in them or something that you see as sin, and maybe the Lord doesn't want you to tell them. He just wants you to pray. People don't often want to hear their faults. My mom told me that. She had a little good old-fashioned advice. Honey, don't tell people their faults. They really don't want to hear it. Just tell Jesus and let him work on them. And you know, it's been great advice through the years because it's the loving way to do it. And so, um, but he he just stood up and he gave that word, that promise from the Lord. What did he say? The battle's not yours. It's not yours. It's the Lord's. That would give me a big relief right there. You're not going to have to fight in this battle. I imagine they're thinking, how is that going to happen? I mean, they're just over the hill. How is that going to happen? And then he said, don't be afraid of the enemy. Take up your position and stand still. Stand still and see. There's a scripture verse, you know it well. Be still and know that I am God. One of my children was going through a very hard trial in his life, and he went away to be by himself with some other Christians at the time and I said what did you learn during those days and he said I learned to be still before God and he he's a very busy dramatic exciting person always fun and he learned to be still he said mom if you ever find that verse to hang on the wall get it for me and I found it in Philadelphia and I gave it to him for Christmas one year and he hung it right when you walk in the front door You can just see it on the wall ahead be still i know that i'm god you know isn't that easy we make life so hard but it's it's so simple just trust jesus i love the promises of god psalm 119 is all about having your devotions it's all about god's word and how awesome it is i encourage you to read that psalm it's long but it is fabulous. And in verse 49 and 50 in Psalm 119, it says, remember your word to your servant for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. You know, when I have my quiet time in the morning and I encouraged you that accepted the Lord last night, do have your quiet time, don't put it off. You know, it's like a diet, we wanna put things off but if you just go ahead, and, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it today. Read till you get something. Sometimes, you know, someone may say, well, you have to read 10 chapters a day, and you, don't, you, you can't fit that in. You know what? Read till you get something. And I often am reading, because I do have a set thing that I'm reading, and I just zero in on something in it, oftentimes, that God just spoke to me that day. I also have devotional books. And in some of them that are, I really love, I will write down my prayer request and compare it to what it said in that devotional book that day in that scripture and look back and see what God did. I did that this morning. I have a great little devotional book called Checkbook of Faith by Charles Spurgeon. It's great. It's small. You can travel with it. It is the size of a checkbook. And um, only it's spelled the English way, C-H-E-Q-U-E, Checkbook of Faith. And I was writing down in the last couple of days what had happened to me years ago on these days. And it was so amazing to see how God had worked through those things and how God answers prayer and the things that he had done. And it was just, it's just, it encourages my faith when I do that. And, and sometimes the scripture will be so perfect and I'll write down what I'm praying for and how God gave me that promise. And I will look back the next year and I'll go, wow, Wasn't that a great job? Those are things that help you trust Jesus, that encourage your faith, give you peace, and help you not be afraid. So they prayed. God gave them a promise. The promises of God are sure, and they are reliable, because the scripture says that God cannot lie. You know, I was looking at politics this last year, and I was thinking, how do these people get away with lying? On the news, you know, you hear there's some people said that, and you know that's not true because you've heard witnesses, and you go, how do they get away in this country with lying like that and not get sent to jail? And then the Lord reminded me of the scripture where Jesus said, Satan is the father of all lies. And I realized that we are living in these last days. And the scripture says, truth will be called a lie and a lie truth. And everything will, will get confused and mixed up. Satan divides. That's what he does. That's what his name really means. He, he's a divider. He'll divide a church. He'll divide a country. He'll divide people. He is a divider and causes wars. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And so you have to know the enemy. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've overcome him. In the end, you're going to see I've overcome him. So God's promises are sure, he cannot lie. His promises are an anchor for the soul. What are some of the promises God has given you? If you keep a journal, write them down. Now, I do write things in a journal, but I don't do journaling every day, and I can't do that. But once I get something out of God's word, I'll write it down. And then on days that are difficult, look back. Look back and see the promises that God gave you. I think one that new Christians grab all the time is "all things will work together for good," but it is to those who love the Lord, and that's the key. So the promises sometimes come with your what you're supposed to do in it. He never. There, there are three things I want you to know about the promises of God, because people can get mixed up in crazy theology and make up things, or take a verse out of the Bible and just It's out of context. So this is the rule. God never will go against his word. So if you feel like the Lord spoke a promise to you, know that it will tie in with his word. He doesn't go against his word. And then does it honor God? Does the promise he's given you honor him? And another thing I think is important to look at, does it condemn me or encourage me? Because God's not in the job of condemning you. The Holy Spirit's in the job of convicting you, but not condemning you to you're hopeless. You see, the Lord gives us promises if you will repent. So know that most of the promises all the time will encourage your heart like this promise did for the children of Israel. Years ago, um, my husband was on the treadmill In the house, and he came downstairs, and his eye, his right eye, was totally bloodshot—the worst I've ever seen on anybody—and bright red. And I said, "What's the matter with you?" And he said, "I don't know. I felt like I was going to pass out on the treadmill." But I said to myself, "You slob, keep on working out," and he did. (laughs) So I rushed him to the doctor, the eye doctor and um, glasses guy, and he sent us to the eye doctor. And what had happened is, Don had had a stroke. In his eye. Thank goodness it was not in his brain, it was in his eye. And the result of that was he lost most of the vision in his right eye. He can see, but it's like through a foggy shower door. And so his. I have to tell you, it's amazing what the brain does, but his other eye compensates, and it doesn't slow him down at all. I mean, he can drive, do computer, everything. It took a while. His whole Your balance system's off for a while. He used to stumble into furniture, and they said he can't drive until this corrects itself, and the other eye just takes over. It's amazing what the body can do. And um, I was on a trip with family and friends, and it was with Mike and Sandy McIntosh. And Mike McIntosh said, Don, will you come with me today? I, he was teaching a, a college group of kids, Bible study. And he said, come with me. And it was in some of our relatives' house, so we knew the whole situation. We were visiting Southern California. And Don said, sure. Well, Don had just lost his right eye. And now he's, you know, his balance is a little off. And this, this was going to be a baptism with these kids. And it was down a very steep, cliffy path going to the ocean in Crona Del Mar, California. And so he went, and I'm thinking, this is going to be rough <laughs> because it was getting dark. And that day in my scripture, the Lord gave me Isaiah forty-two sixteen. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in the, in, um, the paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. He came home and he told me that when he started down that path, he was really nervous. Because you know, there's nothing more embarrassing for a guy than to fall down in front of a bunch of college kids. And he's saying, This is gonna be bad. I don't want attention on myself, I gotta get down this path. And he just called out to the Lord, and he said it was like Jesus stepped beside him, and he walked perfectly down that path. And I thought of the promise God gave me. Do you see how real his word is? Many of you know that in this room. Isn't it delightful? It's awesome. It just makes God come alive to you. Look for those miracles. What a promise. I I don't even know that I ever remembered that scripture was in the Bible until I read it that day. God does that. When I was raising those boys, the Lord gave me a scripture that I desperately needed to raise those children, and he said, they're lovely children, I love them very much, they're great leaders, but you know, sometimes leaders can be, um, you know, one of, them, one of them was a rascal, and very dyslexic, but a lot of fun, that in, in raising these kids, I just kept praying, Lord, I want them to grow up and know you, I want them to, you know, find you, I want them to be in heaven with me and the rascally one got saved early on in daily vacation Bible school he still you know had his bad days but I knew he knew Jesus and, um, and he, he never really ever denied the Lord and he always knew him so I was just praying for these boys and um, the Lord gave me the scripture one day in Isaiah 54 all your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. I hung on to that for years. And then as they grew up and became adults and were getting married, I remember one day crying out to the Lord and saying, are they all going to be okay? I don't want them to go off the path. Lord, I want them in heaven with me. I want to know that they are going to walk with you. Because some of them were going through some difficult times then, and I was just praying. And the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, I already told you. And I said, when? And it reminded me of that verse. Oh, yeah, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. (laughs) All your children will be taught of the Lord. And I opened up that chapter, and my eyes went to a couple verses above, Isaiah 54, 10. And this was the promise that he gave for the promise. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness will not depart from you. Nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you, the mother. Now, it didn't say mother in there, but I knew that was for me because he had said, all your children be taught of the Lord, great will be the peace of your children. And then he says, nor my covenant of peace be removed. I told you, now I'm having to tell you again. It's not going anywhere. And I have to tell you that all my children today and their wives know Jesus and walk with the Lord and I don't get any I don't get any praise for that it is God's mercy that brings your children and what it takes is you just keep praying for those kids and if you've got a rebellious child never give up I think as long as there's breath there's hope you you just keep praying I've got a grandchildren a son right now that's way out there and I pray for him all the time God don't let him die till he finds you He used to sit in church as a little boy in Horizon at Mike and Sandy's with his parents and just worship Jesus as a little two-year-old boy and three-year-old boy. And he went to college one day, and the professor said, you don't have to believe in God, and here are all the reasons. And he bit the apple. And so we just keep praying for him. God can do that. He can do great things, and so we pray for him. We have to fix our eyes on the Lord. My eyes are even on the Lord, for only he releases my feet from the snare. He will take care of it. He will guide and lead us. It is in fixing our eyes on the one who is the truth and allows us to overcome the enemy of our soul that we gain victories in the battle. Just be still. We can be so encouraged by God's word. Now they could head into battle, and face the enemy. God gave them courage that day because they listened. So we've had a problem, and then they what? Prayed, we're doing the P words. They had a problem, they prayed, and God gave them a, very good. I knew you were awake out there. And now they're gonna praise him. It's key to praise the Lord. So much of scripture tells you to praise the Lord. You look at David everything was looking so bad, my friends have become my enemies, this is going against me. And in those psalms he would start looking at God and how big he was in his creation, and by the end of the psalm he's praising the Lord. And that's what we have to do. They worshipped before they went out to face the enemy. And I love it, Jehoshaphat sent singers ahead of the whole group. The worship team went first. Look at verse 20. Well, let's look at verse uh, 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Cathites and the children of Cath stood, never mind, and those children stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he anointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. There is just so much power in praising the Lord. That's what he wants to hear from us. He sends out the singers first. I remember there was a time where one of my sons was going through some very hard times and I called my in-laws to come and some of the maybe a brother and some of the family that was in town. And I said, we just really need to pray for this kid. And and they gathered at our kitchen table, and we sat around and prayed. And I remember my mother, who was a great prayer warrior, she headed up the, um, the prayer ministry, women's prayer ministry in Costa Mesa for Kay Smith for years. And she just had a heart after the Lord. And she said, we need to start praising the Lord. And I remember that's so odd. We got to pray for this problem. And And she stops all of us, and she said, we need to stop right now and start praising the Lord. And I never forgot that. And I thought, you know what? There is power in praising the Lord. Spurgeon says, this is another one-liner, when grief presses you to the ground, worship there. When grief presses you to the ground, worship there. Do you remember... We just celebrated, well, not celebrated, but remembered September 11th this year. It was all over the news again, documentaries. And there was one that was done by the French, uh, by a group of people, about a Frenchman, in the fire unit in New York that day. It was the last, it was the last day It was September 11th. They captured that day on film. They had told his story all through, and then they showed the last day where he went into the tower. They captured it on film, and they showed it exactly six months later on television. They were covering this one young man in particular. He was the last one out of the building. Those firemen carried up to 80 pounds on their backs. There were 80 flights of stairs. So, so many minutes on each each flight, they couldn't all make it. They carried 80 pounds on their backs up those stairs to save hundreds of people from that fire. And it reminds me of Jesus who carried the cross and the weight of that cross on his back to save millions from hell. Some days, if it seems dark and depressing or discouraging, or you're facing some mountain in your life, and you think, Lord, I have nothing to be thankful for today, remember that. Remember that he went up that mountain carrying the cross on his back for you, And if you can't say thank you for anything else that day, you can say thank you for that. And that's a lot. We can always praise him. You know, sometimes if you can't sleep, a great thing to do is do an alphabet of praise. Do you know what that is? Okay, you wake up at 1.30 in the morning, and you go, great, I'm not going to get back to sleep tonight. I've got this going on in my head and that. You know what? They used to say, count sheep. I don't know why you count sheep. Maybe there were a lot of shepherds in the olden days. but. someone taught us to do an alphabet of praise. It was actually Chuck's wife, K. And this is what you do. You take the alphabet and you think of a praise for God for each one of the letters. A, you are almighty, all-knowing. B, you are beautiful beyond description. C, you are my comforter, you are compassionate. D, you are my deliverer. E, you are eternal. F forgiving, and you fight my battles for me, G, the great I am and glorious, H, helper, hope, holy, I, intercessor." Well I couldn't ever come up when, for Z, which I probably wasn't awake quite that long. But someone came to me and said, Z is, our God is zealous for us. I liked that. You know, it's a great way to go back to sleep. I don't, how many of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, isn't it a great book? It it really is. I read it when I was in my 20s, and it was a great allegory and really ministered to me. But in the book, Pilgrim's Progress tells of a time that they came to the hill difficulty. It is about a man named Christian, and it is an allegory of the Christian life. So he's coming to the hill difficulty, which Jehoshaphat came to on this day. And at the bottom of the hill, there was a spring of water. Christian went to the spring and he drank there to refresh himself. He then went up the hill difficulty and he went up singing. Jehoshaphat's army went up that hill singing on that day. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. Do you, have you heard of her? Yes, you're taught well in this church. She, um, she was rich with, with, with so many of her books and devotionals. But she went to India as a missionary, as a young person. And she said that the verse in Psalm 138 so spoke to her, before the gods, I will sing praise unto thee. Because in India, there's gods everywhere, idols everywhere. And that verse was so strong to her, before these idols, before these gods, I will sing unto thee, the great overcomer. And what she was saying is before all the enemy gods, That scripture helped her often when she faced awful powers of heathendom on the mission field. I remember one summer, many years ago, and my son, one of my sons, was going through horrific divorce. His wife left and um, it was a very hard time in our family. And he turned towards the Lord and she went away. But there were three little children little involved. And I remember mopping the kitchen floor, crying. And my heart was breaking because I was going, what's going to happen to these children? She eventually moved to Florida and took them all with her. But you know, as I prayed for the children the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, why are you crying? I said, because I don't know what's going to happen to them. And he said, are they healthy? Yes. Are they handicapped? No. Do they have cancer? No. Then why are you crying? You don't know what I'm going to do in their lives. You don't know. So give them to me and pray. And you know what I started doing? I started singing. And my heart lifted. It was amazing what praise does when you worship the Lord when you worship the Lord. So, praise is so important. Power. There is power. The enemy self-destructed. This is one part I love in this chapter. Verse 22 through 24. And now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sur, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Sur, utterly to kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sur, they helped to destroy one another. You know what, this reminds me of an old Western saloon story, where all of a sudden they start, they're all drunk and they get up and they start killing each other for no reason. And maybe one of the soldiers said, hey, you just took my sword. I did not. Oh, yeah, I did. And his brother pipes up and said, hey, you can't talk to him that way. And, And the whole thing explodes. I, is this just amazing? I just think God's so exciting how he wins battles for us. It's just always so unusual. So, verse 24. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness and they looked toward the multitude, all that army, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth, no one had escaped. No one. Of that enormous army of all of those, the kings that had brought them in, Everybody was dead. Not one. And what did God, what was his promise? You'll not have to fight this battle. They didn't have to lift sword against anybody. No one had escaped. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and the people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies. And I love this part precious jewelry. What soldier carries jewelry? Precious jewelry into the battlefield. But for some reason, they did. And the children of Judah stripped off all the jewelry from them and all their stuff that they could carry away. And you know what? It took them three days to carry away the plunder. I mean, they not only didn't have to fight, but they got rich in the process. God blessed them and gave them all this stuff. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barak, which is the Valley of Weeping, for they had blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Barak until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. They came back. The Valley of Barak was changed to the Valley of Praises. That's what they called it the valley of praises. So that P word is important. And the last P word is plunder. And God gave them the plunder. So they had a what? Problem. They had a problem. And what did they do about that problem? They prayed and then God gave them. And then they praised the Lord and then God over, I didn't give you this one, he overpowered the enemy. And then Israel got the plunder. They received the plunder. How good God is. And then the last P word is this peace. Turn to the end of the chapter. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat in verse 30 was quiet, whereas God gave them rest all around. No one wanted to get near them after that. I wouldn't want to tangle with their God, would you, if I lived in that area? Their witness was great. The witness of God was great for them. The fear of the Lord came upon all, just like it had many years before with the Egyptians, when God defeated the Egyptians, and the world had heard about it, the the unknown world. And the thing is so great about all this, that others are ministered to. In our tragedy, God is glorified. I will tell you about one of those grandchildren in closing Then we're going to have a break. Her name is Paige. She was one of the children that got messed up in that shuffle. And she was probably the one that walked the furthest away from God early on. She said she became an agnostic she went on with her life. She pretty much became an alcoholic as a teenager. Her mom sent her to one of those places where they lock kids in like a camp and, and it was horrific for her. The place broke up finally because parents complained. Her mom had her kidnapped in the night and taken there because she couldn't control her. So she quieted down when she went home and she came here to Florida with her mom and her brother and sister, and we prayed, and my mother-in-law, the prayer warrior, said I am praying that someone will invite those kids to church, and so I'm praying. And I put under the picture of these kids, and especially under page, all things, with God all things are possible. And that was my prayer for them. And I remember walking in my neighborhood and just praying for her on one particular day. And I said, Lord, you know what? You can do all things. And I had just read it. I think it was in Mark, where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, not my will but Thine, I know you can do all things. And I just reminded Jesus of that on my walk that morning. I said. You said that the Father could do all things if you said it. You knew the Father. It's true. He can do all things. Could you go get Paige for me? She was 17 years old. Can you just go get her? I want her in heaven with us. The next day, I'm walking in the neighborhood, and the phone rings, and it's Paige. And she said, I have something to tell you. I hadn't talked to her in months. I said, what? She said, well, a friend invited me to church, and I went to church, and I sat on the back row, and I said to myself, these stupid Christians, two weeks later, I have to tell you, I am back there, and I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm on my knees, and the tears are running down my face, and my hands are lifted up to heaven. She calls me Mimi. Mimi, I'm back to God. And I think I want to go around the world and tell people about him. Well, she called Dawn actually before she called me and I'm just going, is this page? <laughs> you know, you doubt your own prayers and you know, and so I just was so amazed and we invited her to go to Bible school. And my husband called and said, you want to change your life? And she said, yeah, and he said, we'll meet you. We're going to a Bible school and we'll meet you in Salt Lake City and we'll go in with you and we'll get you in this Bible school. And she um, said in her testimony, she said, I fasted and prayed for three days. I asked my mother, who amazingly gave her permission for her to go because she was only 17. She said, I, I left my mother, my sister, my boyfriend, college, my cat, a job. And I got on a plane to a place I had never been and to people I had never met before. Not us, but the, people, the school where she was going. And God changed her life. And while she was there, she met the most wonderful man. And that's a long story in itself. But um, he was just there for a week. He was a wonderful guy from Australia. And he loved the Lord, came from a godly family. And then he went with his folks and went back to Australia. And she didn't see him again. And she always told me, you know, that's one guy I could have gotten serious about. Um, He's a musician. She's an artist. They, They just blended and she would compare everybody else to him and four years later she's in bible school in california and she goes on campus and there he is and she said what are you doing here and he said well my band is playing in the cafe tonight you're kidding no what are you doing here well i go to school here now and you know what they got back together and she moved to australia and they got married and today they live in nashville and have a darling little boy and God has been so good to them and blessed their lives. And I just think she made a choice to go down a narrow road and God just snapped her up and wrapped his arms around her. She grew more than most young people I've ever seen. She would, she would pick my husband's brain as he was going to class to teach and ask him all kinds of deep theological questions at 17. And I'm going, where did she come from? It was like she was making up for lost time She'd be putting on her makeup in the morning, and I would listen to her through the door, and she'd be singing worship songs. I said, where'd you learn those worship songs? She said, I don't know, I just turn them on, listen to them, and I just learn them. And I just watched her grow, and I go back to the day where I was on the kitchen floor crying, and God said, you don't know their end. You don't know what I'm gonna do. So I'm still praying for one of them. Well, actually two of them, but one seriously. You know, God can do these things. We need to pray. Sometimes we need to fast. There's power in fasting, and we need to praise him, and we certainly need to praise him when he gives us the answers. We have a God that overcomes the world. Amen?